0: Hello friends, this is Carrie Morrison. Welcome to Heart Forward Conversations from the Heart. This week I am delighted to introduce to you a friend I discovered through social media. Proof that Twitter can have some redemptive purpose after all. Vincenzo Passante was raised and educated in Trieste, Italy, and then he moved to the UK. He is a psychologist and for a spell, he worked in the National Health Service And the contrast between what he experienced in Trieste and what was considered so-called best practice in the UK was pretty stunning. In fact, he describes that experience as brutal in some ways. Vincenzo helps to shine a light on the remarkable vision of Franco Basaglia, the passionate and driven psychiatrist who pushed for the closure of the asylums in Italy. We talk about some of the ideas that are endemic to a Basaglian worldview. What really is an institution and who does it serve? What does it mean to approach a person as a subject and not as an object? Through the power of Zoom, one of the few good things that came out of this pandemic experience, I can cross the pond and have a conversation and you are the beneficiaries of my Buon Fortuna. Buongiorno. Vincenzo, it's so good to Hello, see you though, although I think it's evening where you are now in the UK.
1: It's late afternoon, yes. Late afternoon.
0: I never asked you what city you live in. I live in London. Okay. Oh, how is the weather on this March? It's
1: quite, uh, it's spring weather, so it's a, it's a bit cold, but It's okay, yeah.
0: Okay, yeah, that's true. We are just a few days away from spring, a year into this pandemic, but hope is on the horizon, right, for all of us, which is-
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: So I'm so delighted to have you here today to talk with you. You and I have developed a relationship on social media, on Twitter, and uh, it's great to see your face. I hope really someday I get a chance to meet you in person. But I'm so intrigued by your story and what you are able to share with me and the people who listen to this podcast who are very interested in knowing more about the system in Trieste and the inspiration behind it, Dr. Franco-Basalia. And I also feel you bring this unique kind of like package of experiences from living and studying in Trieste and now working in the UK. So I'm really looking forward to where this conversation takes us. But why don't we start a little bit with your origin story? Tell me about, I know you came from Trieste, your life there, your parents, your studies, and just how you found yourself into the field of psychology.
1: Yes. So I'm uh, half Italian, half Scottish. My mom comes from Scotland originally and I was very interested when I went to high school, very interested in philosophy. And for a time, I thought, maybe I should study philosophy at university. And I'm still quite interested in in philosophy. But at a certain point, I realized that I wanted to apply the things that I thought to the real world in a way. So I didn't want them to, to just remain thoughts up in the air, but I wanted to make a difference in people's life. And I'm sure a lot of philosophers do make a difference as well. (laughs) But in my mind, psychology would really make a difference in people's lives. And so that's how I got into psychology, basically. And I have to say, it's been a bit of a journey that, that I didn't start from the position where I am now, where I'm trying to really push for Basalia's ideas in the UK. I started with a falling in love in, in the first year at university with uh, experimental social psychology. So very much quantitative methods, research, finding out stuff. And I was so in love with this idea that with science, you can find the objective truth. You can just do a research. We have a disagreement, just find out with our study and everything gets solved brilliantly instead of having philosophical ideas. And gradually I moved from that uh, belief as I started my studies to a, a position now where I realized that science is strongly influenced by a vision of care, by what you want to do with science. You can do beautiful things with science and you can do the most horrific things with science. And so there's been a journey. It's very long. It would, that would just be a podcast, just that, I think. But uh, yes, in the end, I, I moved to the UK. First of all, I knew the language. I never thought that I would live in Trieste my whole life. And I thought that in the UK would up, would open up a lot of opportunities that in in Trieste, as much as it's a beautiful place, it's a relatively small city. So I thought maybe I'll have more opportunities professionally in the UK. and uh,
0: So I do recall you told me that you did do some intern work and you did do some work in the services in Trieste. And what did you do there? Well
1: yes. So I, after my studies, so I did a bachelor's degree, then I did a two years master's. I was a service user in uh, services in Trieste as a teenager. I never had... A psychotic breakdown or I never had to take medication, even though for a few years I've been seeing a psychologist. Never in those years, anybody raised the fact that I should take medication, by the way. Some people do in Trieste, some people don't. But that was never an expectation. I was then an intern as part of my training as a psychologist. I did an internship in the Drug and Alcohol Dependency Department in Trieste, and then another six months with an organisation that works with political refugees in Trieste. And I also volunteered, let's say, as coordinating or helping to develop a range of activities for a group of young people that are tied into services in Trieste. And then I qualified as a psychologist in Trieste. So... Yes, I had experience of coming in contact with a range of services in in these activities both as a service user first and then as a trainee psychologist, basically, later on.
0: I know we're going to talk a little bit about the difference between the system in the UK, which mirrors a lot of what we see in the United States as well. But I'm just wondering if you can just reflect for a moment about how in Trieste there is a emphasis on early intervention with young people who might be experiencing mental health challenges. And it sounds like both through your own experience and, and with the, the young people that you worked with or the group you were a part of, that type of early intervention is very key in that system. Would you agree?
1: Yes, I would say that a whole view of the person is generally very important from the start. So when when people are helped by this, the system, there's not a vision that we need to achieve uh, merely achieve a stability of symptoms. You're feeling low. Oh, this, this intervention will make you feel better and that, that will solve that problem. But there's an, an attempt to see what your place, what, where you see yourself in the world and help you find a role. And let's say this happens in ways that are not necessarily through technical interventions or through medication. But for example, this was a group of people that I volunteered with that just met regularly. And they still meet, by the way, (laughs) and I'm still in touch with them and catch up when I go back to Trieste and have lunch together, go on holiday together, just exchange. We're all in our WhatsApp group, patients, professionals, or sometimes it's not clear what the difference is. In this group, and we just spend time together. A lot of people. This is not for everyone. Some people uh, maybe started going out to this group, then thought, "No, this is not for me." Other people don't have friends, maybe people to talk to, and so they can come along. And it was partly a group of friends, but it wasn't exactly a group of friends. So there was were people, there were uh, psychotherapists, social workers, and so there was an attempt to look into when there was were problems discuss them to understand them so there was uh, it was a bit more than a than a, just a group of friends but yeah very informal and so it's about creating a, a project on the person this is not just for young people but it's especially important i think when you're very young because it's, it's so important for you to, to find a place in the world maybe when you are later on in your life you have found it in some way even if it's not uh, if it's not great or, or indeed very painful but you're more established as a person, as an identity, whereas as a young person, you really you need to find your space. And it's very important to be supported in this respect, not just to have your symptoms leveled or, or flat or whatever.
0: Yeah, that sense of community uh, permeates so much of what is done in Trieste, that creation of social connections and avoiding isolation and helping people connect with others. And I think it's fascinating that you mentioned that this group of friends not only includes service users, but also people who work within the system. So it's a very kind of egalitarian group. I love that. It's just such a beautiful example of how unique that system is. Let's talk a little bit about Franco Basaglia because I know you and I share a great interest in him and what a profound impact he had on... Uh, change in Italy and and also in Europe. you, You are way more versed in his teachings and writings than I am, partially because a lot of them are only in Italian and I have that impediment. But I'm curious, first of all, can you describe for people who are listening to this who he is and why he is so important? And were you exposed to him while you were studying in the university?
1: Yes. So Franco Basaglia was a psychiatrist who let's say, set up with other people, services, interest, and the way they are now, which means a system with no locked doors and no physical restraint and was responsible for a wider reform that affected the entire country of Italy, which again could be another episode. (laughs) Uh, So... He's been a central figure in this respect, and he's been very influential not only in Italy but in other countries. Unfortunately, not in the English-speaking world because, for one reason or another, he's never been translated in English. In in, well, very little of him has been translated in English, and at least that's one of the reasons, probably. So, I was basically his vision of deinstitutionalization of a system that doesn't impose, let's say, a structure on people. That is focused on itself, but is trying to, let's say, respond to people's needs, is something that I have been in contact with in two, well, there have been two exams at university of social psychiatry, which were held by Pepe de Lacqua, uh, who worked with Basaglia in Trieste. Now, the irony in my specific case, that when I first came in contact with Basaglia's ideas, I was actually quite sceptical I didn't have any any comparison to make. With, I didn't know what a psychiatric hospital was. I didn't know what a system, the function of different principles was. And I thought, oh, but this is very naive, you know, what about dangerous people? The same type of things that I get now <laughs> as a supporter of Azalia. I can kind of, See why people would would think certain things, and actually, the first exam that I did, I was quite critical. I was like asking critical questions, like "What is this all about? Is it silly?" And I didn't realize that the naive person was was myself in the fact that uh, there's a lot of focus in traditional mental health care in seeing the the danger of madness as something that is intrinsic to the so-called mental illness. And so intrinsic to the person, we need to fear the person because they could be dangerous. And there's no understanding that this is a dialectical process, that the way we structure our service is part of that dangerousness or 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 not dangerousness. And that if you have a system that is truly open, that is truly looking after people, that is not violent against people that suffer, then that is not a big issue. And it's not a big issue in Trieste, you know, that this isn't a a fear that people have. There's no locked doors, there's no restraint. Relationships deal with conflicts dialectically, trying to find a compromise.
0: Yeah, you, that is so beautiful how you are laying that out. Let's just underscore that for people who are listening to this, who are also going to be very skeptical because it's largely a US audience. When you say that there are no locked doors and no restraints, Paint a picture of that, because we operate in systems where there's locked doors and restraints everywhere.
1: Yes, I think that I I have the advantage of having seen both how chest works and how that approach is, and how an approach based on locked doors and restraint as built for for safety, how that works. I've worked in a, a crisis service in the U.K., for for a while in the National Health Service. I would say that the difference is the way, the, there are many ways to describe the difference, but the most simple way to describe the difference is that in the UK, I think the approach is very reactive. So we start from the assumption that things are going to blow out of control and something is going to be very dangerous, very aggressive. And what do you do then? with the dangerousness. And we don't understand anything else that happens in that moment, just the dangerousness. What do you do? And that only leaves you with bad options, obviously. And then you're building a system based on the fear of the dangerous, mad person. And it's therefore, it's a, it's a system that's not built to answer the needs of the person, but only the extent to which these people could be dangerous. And it's a violent, usually quite racist system as well, because then this violence is not fairly distributed. For example in the UK there's a huge massive disparity between white and black people being subjected to violent practices. So I think that in Trieste there's the shift to a proactive approach which is okay we need to provide an answer to these people's needs. What type of service will provide this answer? A locked door system where everybody's wearing alarms Patients are all constantly controlled, we're constantly suspicious about what they might be up to, and we need to keep our distance, and all of that. Will that provide an answer to people's needs? No. <laughs> what? Uh, and, and so we, the more we build a welcoming s- system, the more we reach out to the person, the more we try to see a range of values, in, even in aggressiveness, what's going on in the person's mind? Why are they scared? What do they fear? What are their dreams? What are their, the more we were able to relate to the person with a, a, a dialogue and we show that we're really interested, the more we we're able to respond to the person's needs and the more they're, they're going to help us <laughs> as well. It's a virtuous circle then that, that brings, that makes it easier and, and a lot of problems that seem impossible in a locked door system to get addressed by the fact that you build a different type of relation with the person.
0: I love that you brought up the word showing a, a hospitable system, which is something that I observed when I was there for that month. And I was very graciously welcomed into observing the culture, that notion of hospitality. And I title my blog Akoyenza because it's so powerful and it's so unlike anything that you experience in the US. So I want to talk a little bit about the book that's never been translated into English, Le Instituzione Le Negata, which is Negated yes. Institution. And I want to talk about that book with you because it is a, a profound book that really swept Italy and South America and, and parts of Europe in in the s- late 60s when it was published, but was never translated into English. And uh, apropos of what you just said, I've been reading some excerpts from that book that have been translated. I'm going to read this quote. It says, once we, this is in the chapter on violence and how institutions are actually set up to perpetuate a, a sense of violence toward the people that presumably are being served. It says, once we become closer to the patient, no longer viewing him as an isolated entity enclosed within an incomprehensible world, but rather as an individual forcibly removed from the social reality to which he once belonged and uprooted by an institution that assigns him only a passive role, then the institution itself becomes implicated in his behavior. Every event becomes reconnected to the environment in which he lives." And that's what you're referring to, that sense of being trapped, of losing one's identity, of being treated as an object. Like, how would any of us react in that situation?
1: Yes. And also what Basalia says about this is you don't have any options then because you're an object. The only space that the institution gives you is as a dangerous person. Every attempt at getting a bit more freedom, get more liberty, is seen as a risk that we need to control. And therefore you have no option. You have no recovery option. And the only way out for a lot of people then is a tragedy. And so I think this is very powerful also because of another thing, which is if we treat the person as an object, it doesn't matter we we were not going to resolve the problem by throwing new techniques at the system. So if the person doesn't have options, we can come up with the best technique in the world, but the patient is always being going to be a proper... His his or her experience is always going to be a property of the professional. That is somehow we need to shape the patient as we are. And that leaves the, the patient just completely passive, And powerless. And so we, I think the reason why this is very powerful is that we need to really undermine the power of institutions in making people passive, not just changing around the techniques of the institution.
0: Yeah. Um, So you're bringing up a power dynamic that exists between presumably the people with clinical expertise who are in a different system, the American system or the British system, seen in a hierarchical role as superior than or of uh, having greater knowledge over the person who is the object of the clinical intervention. So going back to that risk management, you're talking about institutions, which Basalia was very anti-institution, and it's really critical for us to think about how pervasive institutions are in our life. They they exist in education, they exist in our judicial system, our health systems, etc. In reading the chapter I was looking at, it said institutions exist to protect against that which must not happen. So if that thing, that tragedy, that dangerous thing happens, there's been a failure of the institution. T- tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Uh, yes, of course. So institutions, the problem with institutions, uh, which we could uh, define as organizations that have a, a purpose broadly, the problem is that very often they tend to, they tend to be self-focused. So we need, they need to run efficiently, they need to run smoothly, and there needs to be a process to deal with whatever gets in the way of that efficiency. Another concept that comes up a lot in Great Britain is this idea of evidence-based practice. So we need to be efficient and the most efficient way is the most evidence-based way and we need to pursue that route to to solve the problems. And the issue is that sometimes the needs of people are in contrast with the needs of efficiency of the institution. And Balia really criticized the institution of the of the asylum at, at that time of the hospital as an institution that is again another episode <laughs> we could do on this well let's say very focused on functioning and on keeping people there separated from their social world with the idea that the more you separate people from society, the better they get and obviously uh, when there's a tragedy, this will get exp be, sp- be simplified and explained away as, oh, we failed, the efficiency failed, the monitoring failed, we should have been more controlling, we should have been more coercive. And this is an institutional thinking that is about preserving the structure of the institution because we'll never get, with this type of thinking, we'll never get to wonder whether the institution played a role in giving no hope to this person. So, yes... For for Basalia, the idea was that people's needs needed to have the a priority. That we can't just leave the environment unquestioned, and make it. Uh, and we can't consider the efficiency of the environment as the top priority. Uh, it we can't have a procedure that works for a group of people. We need to look at the person individually as a subject again, not as an object. And what do they want? What do they think? Give them a voice, even if it's a voice that is for example disruptive so we need to, if somebody is disruptive say oh i i don't like this go away we need to start a conversation there we can't just say this gets in the way of our procedures let's take this medication we'll shut yeah. you down or, or this will take way
0: know. too much time to have a long conversation with you about why you are so upset right now yes
1: yeah so we we have we don't have time now really this needs to run smoothly. We need to do this, that, and the other. Otherwise, the hospital doesn't work well.
0: Yeah, no, um, I, I, oh my gosh. So I can only imagine, Vincenzo, you were studying Vesalia in the university. You thought, what's the big deal here? You're, you're living in a city that actually um, manifests the, the best actualization of his thinking, which is why the world looks to Trieste as a as a model. And then you move to the UK. You've got your skills under your belt. You've been trained in this marvelous way of approaching people and seeing them as, as a subject worth talking to. And boom, you're now placed in the, is it the national health system? Is that what it's referred to in... In the UK? Uh,
1: The National Health Service, National Health
0: Service. Tell me about the first maybe few months on the job where you confronted a whole different way of engaging with your clients or patients or however that's described.
1: Yes, that was pretty brutal. Really brutal. Not just at a professional level, but at a personal level. Because when I came to Britain, I obviously knew that there would be a different system. I had never seen a psychiatric hospital system. I had heard the Bazalian version, but you always think they say their story. The other side, let's see what it really is. And I assumed that I would disagree on some things, but in Triest, there was this ongoing conversation where it's not just the patient that is a subject, but as a professional, you are a subject. You can discuss things. You can say, I don't think we should be doing this really, or why are we doing this? And when I crashed against a system that was very much focused on preserving the institutional structure. And I would say, why are we doing this? Whereas in Trieste I would get an answer based on the needs of the person, because I think in this moment he needs this or she needs this. In Britain it was, oh, because this is what the commissioners want, because this is the best practice, because this is the procedure. And that shocked me because if the procedure gets in the way of the person's needs, who cares about the procedures? <laughs> Completely irrelevant point. Or uh, when I would insist, no, this is really wrong. We can't do this. Or I can assure you, Vincenzo, that this is in line with the procedures. Who cares? That that was never my 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 problem. That it was or wasn't in line with the procedures. My problem was this is not a good way of working or helping you Can
0: people. you give an example of how that played out for you? Well,
1: what, one example, the, the clear example is in uh, where I worked in crisis services in many places, not just where I work in, in other places as well, there's this idea that you need to approach people in crisis with a checklist of questions to ask. So do you want to hurt yourself? What is your intent to end your life from one to 10? And then you need to do if They say this, you say that, if they said this other thing. And I was like, that's ridiculous. You know, that's not how you would approach this in Trieste because it's not, this is not a machine we're dealing with. This is a human being. And anyway, I thought, so what? So if they're suicidal, we're going to lock them up, but that could make things worse. It was, (laughs) to me, even the idea that if somebody was really suicidal, the, the consequence would be a brutal, violent reaction. So surely they're not going to tell me the truth if I'm sabotaging trust at every corner I was like, oh, but then there there's this thing of responsibility, which isn't seen in that way in chess. Oh, but then you might be responsible for the tragedy if you didn't ask this, if you didn't ask us. Oh, it's just to cover your back, uh, which made you furious. That's one of the things that heard. It's just to cover your back. I didn't do this job to cover my back. I did the job to help people. I don't care about... And that was just so... It just shattered my, really, my spirit in a way. Because also, there's it's not, these are not presented as opinions. These are not presented as, this is the way we do things in the UK. This is presented as, this is the truth. This is the only way possible, which is a blatant lie. So that's why I'm screaming from the rooftops. That is not true. There is another way. At least, tell me, we disagree with threats, we don't want to respect people. We just want to abuse them. No, I'm getting carried yeah, away. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. I,
0: I hear that emotion. So I, I love what you said that you're not, you weren't trained to treat people like a machine. Push this button, that will happen. Push that lever, that will happen. And the British checklist to try to talk someone out of their suicide intentions was based on a presumed scientific best practice. And it seems to me, I'm going back to what you you said originally when you were in school, that you thought you were going to discuss, study philosophy, and then you were very enamored of science. But the Basalian approach of like connecting with the person and actually respecting what that person is thinking at that moment, is that more philosophy than science, or is it a combination of the both? What do you think?
1: It's both, but it's an acknowledgement that you need to work on a science of liberation, and not on a science of oppression. If I scientifically repress, if I say, oh, this, this woman is angry, or oh, she just, just has a personality disorder, don't listen to her, or this poor uh, black person, he's very angry, he's always oh, dangerous, let's, be, let's keep our distance, that is not a science that, that is objective. <laughs> That is pretty brutal, repressive. It's a science that is defending power structures and it's not a science that I that I believe in. I I believe in that there's a lot that, that science can offer, but we can't just abandon our values and just presume that science is going to sort everything out in itself. As they're trying to promote as an idea in the UK and also in the US, from what I see, uh, this idea, oh, we're evidence-based, we're the best. How evidence-based are you? How evidence-based is a subjective relationship? You can't objectify a relationship. (laughs) So there's always this thing, they always want to turn the patient into an object. Oh, what technique are you using? I don't know, we went out for a coffee, we had a... (laughs) next time. I don't know. It's, what do you want me to do? You know, you want me to fit the person in a box, but you've decided before the relationship starts, what should come out of that relationship. No, that's a preformed answer, very defensive to protect the power structure of the of society. Really,
0: I I recall when I was in Trieste, I spent three days in the central hospital, where as there are six beds in an unlocked ward, and there was a woman there who had been brought by her family, and I'm not exactly sure of the reason, but she was really intrigued by me and wanted to learn English words, and I wanted to learn more Italian words, and so. She asked, could we go for a walk in town to get a coffee? And I thought, well, they're never going to let her do that. And they said, yeah, of course, go. And so I went walking with this patient at the Central Hospital in Trieste, and we were gone for about two hours. We had coffee. We had pizza. We went into a drugstore, and she showed me all the words for toothpaste and soap in Italian, etc. We went out to the water. I was blown away. And it was so therapeutic for her to get out, have fresh air, to talk with someone, to be valued as a human being. And we came back. She came back. That that, that there were like five mind-blowing experiences for me in Trieste, and that was one of them. So you wow, you come t- into the British system. You are,
1: Kerry. If I suggested something like that in Britain, they would tell me that I don't understand anything about crisis care. That that's very risky and absolutely that's uh, irresponsible. That anything could have happened, as if anything couldn't have happened with the violence of the of the hospital, and therefore that's completely wrong. It's not best practice. This is what we're up against, exactly. unfortunately.
0: It's a flipped mindset. It is absolutely. Yeah. So I'm now thinking about your mental health for the time that you worked in the system, which I think you said was about 18 months or a little less than two years. Um, y- y- what was a tipping point for you where you thought, okay, I'm not going to be able to change this, and I'm having a crisis of conscience in continuing to perpetuate this how did you reach that threshold of deciding you had to leave
1: yes that was it was very difficult for me because when i got into the nhs i never thought that i would go out of the nhs apart from the fact that now something's moving but let's not be too specific about it but i might be involved in something because there are people that want to change things in the system as well so in a few months or years we maybe we'll be having a conversation and things will change. I I always what I find sad about the situation in the NHS is that there's such amazing people, incredibly talented people working in the organization. It's not an organization of evil people that want to hurt patients. People in that work in the NHS generally would like to help. But there's a system that is brutal, violent and I think that the tipping point for me was when I realized that there was no acknowledgement of the value of my training. There was no possibility even to say, oh, actually, I don't believe in locked doors. And and still now to this day, people keep telling me, keep having these big experts telling me, oh, you know, you don't know anything. And I was just finding it hard to justify. Increasingly, I was thinking, how can I justify my role here? Because I am engaging in stuff, although I, I was working on a crisis team, I wasn't directly involved in restraining people, Although I was involved in taking people to hospital, which is not like a hospital, like the very rare cases in which people get to hospital in CHS, where you can go out anyway, <laughs> it's open doors. But really, a brutal institutions where people are physically assaulted, and what am I doing here? And... I could not provide an answer to that at a certain point. So then I briefly went to a apply for a CBT a short, let's say, course, which was what even is worse. C-
0: what is CBT?
1: Cognitive behavioral therapy. But it was the only course that was vaguely psychological. I thought maybe I could find a more psychological mindset here. It's even worse in a way. And then I just left. And I you always learn. So you always learn from, if I'm now, I'm going to be involved in a different capacity maybe, but I've learned things. I've learned what, how the system thinks, whereas I was completely unprepared for what I would find. And it still amazes me to this day that people don't know that Trieste exists in many, in, in the English speaking world. Most people don't. So yeah, it's very so sad. sad.
0: <laughs> so I, and that's why you're here talking to me today, because I feel you and I both share a deep conviction that more people need to know about this because it shows what is possible and how people can be treated with kindness and respect and dignity. Where did you go after you left the NHS then?
1: Yes, then I went to, let's say, we call them charity in the UK. So services that have a bit of their funding that comes from charity, but a lot of the funding comes from just public funds. And it's basically accommodation for otherwise homeless people with substance use long-term substance use challenges and I have a bit more freedom. There's still problems obviously but I I think I have a bit more freedom and it's a bit better for me and I found that I could, I decided to change my strategy after the NHS. Before when I was in the NHS my idea was I need to try and adapt my skills to the system and try to see if they're going to listen to me. Nobody some individuals cared, but the system doesn't really, because the system is focused on its institutional structure and make every, making everything work. And if you get in the way, you're just a problem. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to change now. And the gently way, I'm going to abandon it. I'm just going to say what I think. And I'm going to find a platform. And even if it's offensive to the system, I'm just going to say it. And so with a colleague, I started a podcast and I said, I'm just going to talk about what Think. And I'm going to try to make contacts and I'm going to see if in this way, even if there's a total clash, maybe I can get to some communication with the system where my position is in some way acknowledged. And I can be respected, even if people disagree with me, I can be respected. And I think it's work, it's good. I think so too. I'm, I'm, be- I, I'm here now, I so know. it's so, something I'm doing quite right, clearly.
0: That is exactly how we found each other. So the name of your podcast is A Place of Safety. What does that mean?
1: Yes, so the psychiatric hospital in the UK is commonly referred to as a place of safety, which is obviously brutal, as I said, very violent racist institution and so one of the things that inst- violent institutions do is change the meaning of words safety becomes control coercion and uh, so i thought if i want to a uh, best practice becomes just your idea your the opinions of people at the top Person centered (laughs) means the opposite of what it is. It's very 1984 in a way, but uh, I don't want to sound too much of a conspiracy theorist. But anyway, I thought I, in this podcast, we need to start reclaiming the words and the status of, of how things are, let's say. So it's called a place of safety with a question mark. So we need to problematize these concepts. We can't just accept that somebody tells you that something is, that restraining people is best practice. And we say, okay, if the leader says it, then it's true. We need to start questioning things. We need to start really with the basis that you can take care of people with open doors and no restraint. And it's not. Another thing that I found a lot with Trieste, some people try to make it not problematic. So, oh, Trieste is absolutely very inspiring, but also the locked doors and the saying it's also very, lots of different cultures with different ways of doing things. That's too easy. If you don't lock people up in Trieste, what on earth are we doing in the rest of the world? Yeah. And I know that's offensive and difficult. But we need need to say it.
0: (laughs) Right. No, I I imagine you feel the same way I do, that it just seems impossible that that we could ever see change. We can never, ever replicate Trieste. It really is a very, it's like the North Star for the world, because even parts of Italy have not been able to fully embrace that model. But it continues to be a North Star. It continues to challenge us that we, we can do better. With your podcast, I know you've been doing it for a couple of years. It's pretty impressive. If you think about the people who listen to this podcast who are very hungry to know more about the system in and how we could do things better to be inspired, um, what are maybe two or three episodes that you would encourage people to listen to as they further their understanding? And I'll put that in yes. the episode notes also.
1: Yes. Yeah, so... For example, uh, episode ten was an episode in which I went through the whole story of how the system changed in Italy. Because yeah, it was a change in Italy. It wasn't is the best example of the Italian system, really, and how Italy moved from a pretty horrific asylum system to an open door system. I think that's important because Chest wasn't born with everybody caring for each other, everybody loving to help people. It was a, Italy had a brutal system based on. On, on the fascist uh, system that was there before. Absolutely vicious. And Basalia came into that reality and changed it. Episode 10, I go through this, the story. Another thing that comes to my mind when I say this is a lot of times they say, oh, but we can't apply Trieste to our system. And that should, when people say that, they don't understand anything about Trieste because Trieste was specifically not applicable to the previous system that's the whole point if it can be applied to a violent system forget it it's nothing it mustn't be applicable to a violent system to be able to have any impact so uh, that was that's an important episode i think then episodes one or two are quite important as well episode one i talked about this idea of best practice which by the way now they're starting to use in trieste as well so i would warn people in trieste don't bring these concepts from the English-speaking world without knowing what meaning they have. And it tends to mean, uh, that's just my opinion, but by definition, my opinion is the best because I'm in power. And you need to comply with this view. Whereas, the, whereas I think there always needs to be attention. We, we always need to be able to question ourselves. We can never say we're satisfied, even in Trieste. Uh, and then episode two, I talk about risk management and I kind of go in more detail into what we're saying here about why seeing only danger in pain can only lead you to bad options, really.
0: Okay, so 10, and 2. That's a good, um, for the next time we all take a walk in the afternoon. If you had on your wish list of who you wish you could interview, who would you like to interview? Pasalia,
1: but it's too late. (laughs)
0: To channel, is there somebody else that you wish you could interview?
1: Oh, that's a difficult question. I don't know. Or let me ask a different Uh, question.
0: Who would you like to take, escort from the UK to Trieste to show them the system?
1: I would like to, the the people, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of psychiatrists that say that it's impossible to have an open door system. And uh, I would like to just take them to Trieste. Instead of having these big discussions where I'm trying to prove how smart I am, (laughs) just come and see it. Come and see how things are. And uh, I think that would persuade a lot of people. I think if a lot of people that train in the UK would see Trieste, they would realise that there's not only one option and people would start asking questions and answers would need to come. So, yes, I I want as many people as possible to know about this, to know that there are different options. And you know what? It's especially young people that need to learn because older generations might never change their mind. They've been brought up to think what they think. But young people can't come into the system and be told this is the best practice. You lock people up, you monitor them, etc. Young people need to know that there's a different way, and they maybe can start a revolution.
0: (laughs) Uh, You and I are totally in sync on that. And if you look at those pictures of uh, Franco Basalia from the 60s, he had a whole bunch of young psychiatrists, including Dr. Mazina and others who who went on to into leadership roles in the system, who were encircling him and learning from him. So I agree. I think the young, and it's not just psychiatrists, it's uh, social workers and nurses and public policy people and community people, young people could be inspired by what is done there. So I I think you are just uniquely qualified, Vincenzo, to continue to spread the light of what that system means for people. You have dual language skills. You've read all the books that we can't even get our hands on in English for some mysterious reason. You lived there for so long. You had firsthand experience in the system people there. You've had this experience in the British health system, which I think, as you say, as brutal as it was, it really helps to inform you what needs to change. So I think you are uniquely positioned to be Uh, a change agent. And my final question to you would be, what is your sense of hope for the future on, you're a young man and you have a lot of runway ahead of you. What is your sense of hope for changing the system in some positive way in the UK?
1: My sense of hope is that since I've started talking about this, I've been developing more and more connections and I'm sure you have too. And uh, even though this seems quite a lonely experience because no very few people know about Basalia or about this view, it's all about introducing new techniques. But the challenge to the institutional structure is something that's not known in the UK. And I get more and more people... That, for example, read this, uh, I think that people should read is uh, John Foote's book, The Man Who Closed the Asylums, goes into detail of the story. And more and more people approach me and say, oh, I'm reading the book. I'm learning about it. That didn't know anything about this before. And so that gives me hope. Because if people start getting to know about this, knowledge has a lot of power. And people can explain things away only to a limited extent. And at a certain point, a movement becomes uh, unstoppable. Uh, and nothing is impossible. <laughs> uh,
0: that That is awesome. I am inspired by you and I hope I can in some way help you in your mission to open. We need to
1: help each other yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from across the pond. Exactly.
0: <laughs> nothing would make me happier to have the chance to have a coffee with you one of these days and I can practice my fledgling Italian with you as well when I get to see you. In
1: Trieste, we need to meet in Trieste Yes, yes. <laughs> Or so in Los Angeles, one day I should come to Los Angeles
0: You have an open door, welcome, You have a place for you to stay Alright Vincenzo, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today Thank you for your great heart, your wonderful podcast And let's continue to stay in touch and not give up hope
1: Okay, thank, thank you very you. much, it's been a pleasure You
0: too I truly hope I get to meet Vincenzo someday. We are like kindred souls in so many ways. When you have seen a better way, where people are treated like people and not like machines, you cannot forget this. And I love what he said. He said, if you don't lock up people in Trieste, what on earth are we doing in the rest of the world? I know that's offensive, he said, and difficult, but we need to say it. I will connect a link to his podcast. It's called A Place of Safety. In the episode notes. Next week we will have a first-hand glimpse into what it is like to be part of a non-law enforcement response to mental health crises. The new term of art in America now is alternative crisis response. This is truly one of the most significant reforms to be gathering momentum across the country right now and I hope you will join me. Thank you for being a loyal listener to Heart Forward Conversations from the Heart. Thank you to my collaborators, Peer Mental Health, and my technical partner, Paul Robinson. I will see you next week.